Fortress Canine Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 86 of the Protection Dog Podcast, where we offer an alternative to conventional training methods and philosophy. I'm your host, Joel Riles, and today we are going to talk about um, how hard, how far, how fast to push your dog, and when to stop for the day, when to take a break. But before we get into uh, that topic, let's talk about today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is Canine Academy Online. So Canine Academy Online is making dog training easy. If you have a dog and you connect with the training methods and techniques and things like that that we go over all the time here on Protection Dog Podcast, uh, then go check out Canine Academy Online. Now, I'll give you guys a couple of things here. If you're local to the Orlando area, you can come train with us locally. Um, send me a text. Do not call me. Send me a text at 813-836-9244. If you are um, in the Houston, Texas area, uh, go on to Instagram. Check out at canineacademy underscore TX for Texas. Uh, my franchise there in Texas will take care of you. Uh, if you are not local to either of these areas and you want to use the video training um, by me, where we go into detail on how to do all of the stuff we're talking about, and I'm actually going through and re-recording or recording kind of uh, supplemental stuff uh, that we've run into a lot with clients over the years as we have been uh, training in our local classes. And so we're going to be going over and adding some of that into the academy here pretty shortly. Ooh, did my U-turn there. Um, but if you want that, go over to K9AcademyOnline.com. That's the letter K, the number nine, AcademyOnline.com. But if you would rather do like Zoom call training and you're not local to either the Houston, Texas or Orlando, Florida areas, um, go over to the Instagram page, K9Academy underscore TX for Texas and send him a DM, and my franchise there in Texas is doing Zoom call training uh, with clients. So you can work out all the details with him there, but he is doing that. I simply do not have time uh, to do that kind of stuff with everything else that I have going on, um, but he asked if that would be a cool thing to do, and I said, hey, if you have the time to do it and you want to dedicate that time, go for it and so he has been and people are really enjoying it so you can go and check that out don't forget you can always find out more information about k9 academy online at our website k9 academyonline.com you can find us on instagram at k9 academy online and you can find us on facebook at the same um the same at i guess the same uh username and then we're also on uh, YouTube, and I'm currently on MeWe, but I'm still trying to figure out exactly how I want to run MeWe. Um, ha just adding another social media platform makes it a little bit difficult to manage. However, uh, I'm trying to give that a go, and uh, so currently over there we are Fortress K9 Infrasand and uh, K9 Academy, and then the K9 for all of our businesses is always the letter K and the number nine. All right, so I won't belabor that anymore. Let's jump into today's topic. Today's topic is training expectations and when to stop for the day. So I actually got this um, question from you guys out there. Uh, so one of you sent me a message and said, hey, um, how do you know when to stop pushing your dog for the day uh, when you're out and doing training? So we are going to dive into that a little bit deeper today. So first of all, um, 
a lot of people see the training that we do, they see the prong collars and they think, oh, you're doing like negative reinforcement training. And that is not the case. Uh, so at Fortress K9, and I'm not speaking for everybody who uses prongs, I don't know how a lot of other people use prongs, I don't care how they use prongs, I use them the way that we use them. And so we do use the prong for a correction when needed, but our training method is built primarily off of praise, okay? So largely it does require that you have a bond with your dog, and you develop a bond by spending time with the dog, and then when you have a bond with your dog, your praise means something to them, right? So we're not using toys and treats and things like that so that we can disassociate the trainer from the training, okay? Uh, we use the bond and verbal praise uh, to get the dogs to do what we need them to do. And then when we need the correction, we use the correction. But the idea is that if you're correcting all the time, then you're probably doing it wrong. Right? Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes dogs don't need correction. It just shouldn't be, you shouldn't be correcting more than you're praising the dog for doing things. Okay? And I put that out right off the bat because if you're overcorrecting, if you're correcting a lot, um, then you may be getting uh, a negative reaction out of the dog to your training. And you, you can change that perception right, with the dog, but you have to take the time to do so. So... We are, we are training our dogs to do what we need them to do for the praise that we give them and the success and the, the woo, yeah, you did it kind of attitude uh, when they do what they need to do. And we're only using the correction collar when needed, okay? So <clears throat> we're using communication and one direction, one correction concept. Now, again, based off of what I just said, don't take the one correction, one direction, one correction too far, okay? When you're doing something new with your dog, you have to show the dog what it is you're asking them to do, okay? For instance, um, like when we're doing sit and lay down and all that kind of stuff, we use the command, so we say seats for sit, and then we may lift up a little on the, on the collar, uh, and we may be using a flat collar depending on the dog's age and different things like that. But we are primarily pushing down on the rump. So it's a little bit of tension up because that's our lead direction for sit. Hand on the rump, pressing down, putting the dog in position. Now, if the dogs fight and resist, and some dogs do, they're like, no, I'm not going into that position. And, you know, they want to resist and fight and, and push back and all that kind of stuff. Some of them do that. And if they do, then we have to use a little bit more force in order to show them what we're trying to get them to do right? Uh, but that's not the same as a correction. That's just pressing down on the rump harder than I may need to do for other dogs, okay? Um, but we're showing them this is what sit means. This is what seats means. And then when they go into the position, good seats, good seats. We kind of praise them. As I'm petting them, I'm kind of also using my hands on the dog as I'm petting them to keep them in the position, um, but without forcing them and holding them there. Um, so that they're getting a reward and a praise for going into that position for me. And I'm showing them this over and over again. If I'm doing something like a bean cross, right, The I may need to, especially with the dog's back legs, I may need to physically put my hands on their, so let's see if I can do this for the video, put my hands on their foot and then place their foot where it needs to go so that they can see, oh, that's where my foot needs to go. Right? If you can give your dog success, if your dog will allow you to direct them that way, 
and you can give them success rather than just letting them fall on like crossovers and ladders and things like that, um, you will get a lot faster progression and a lot more confidence a lot quicker. Okay, if you let your dogs fall and things like that, you could still work through the problem that way, but it's going to be longer, slower, not as fast a progression, okay? But that's part of the communication. The communication is cross a beam, right? So I'll say cross right here, and I show them the beam or the ladder or whatever it is I want them to cross, and I give them the command cross, and then I number one, I try to coax them out, okay? And I tell people this all the time, and they, they go, oh, come on, come on, come on, and the dog doesn't come, and then they want to correct the dog, right? I'm like, actually work at coaxing the dog out. Okay, take your time and stop rushing the working the dog across a beam. Okay, so when you're doing your beam crossings, you know, I'll be like, let's go, let's go, come on, let's go, let's go, you got it, you got it. Anytime they look at the beam, I start to praise them. Go cross, go cross. Anytime they look at the ground, I go, with that, cross the beam, let's go, let's go right here. Right, so I direct their attention back onto the beam. If they look at the ground, I'll give them a verbal. If they actually try to lean into the ground or, or you know, lean forward like they're going to jump off of whatever they're on that the beam is on, and uh, then I will lift up on the lead, but I'm not correcting. I'm not popping, right? I'm just lifting up so that they go, oh, if I try to go down, this is going to go tight. I shouldn't go down, right? And I want to do it the minute they're looking and kind of doing that little lean forward. And if you're on the video, you can kind of see me doing almost like a little hen peck or, or turkey neck kind of thing um, you'll if you watch your dog and pay attention to them you'll see them doing that they'll like lean in like they're they're looking at the ground and they're leaning forward into that that look because they're looking where they're about to land and they're getting ready to jump off try to do your tension as soon in that process as possible so that what you don't want is for them to already jump off the table before you do anything right and that happens a lot too because people don't pay attention to the communication the dog is giving so when the dog is thinking about jumping off I'll either go we that or no and then I just lift up on the lead, and then as soon as they glance back at the beam, I praise. And I coax, 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 right? So I'm trying to encourage the dog, come on, you can do this, you got it. Any little movement, right? Including repositioning their back feet so that they can step out onto the beam is praised. Everything they do that's moving in the direction of crossing this beam for me is praised. Then if I can't get them to come out via coaxing, and, and a lot of times you can't, right? A lot of times if you just keep encouraging and coaxing the dog, you'll get them to come on out onto the beam, okay? Once their front legs get out on the beam, their back legs are usually still on the table or the stool or whatever it was resting on to begin with. And before they even try to take that step, because some dogs will walk right out on the beam and then try to take the step with their back leg. But if this is their first time doing it, they almost always will miss with their back leg. Right? Because they're used to being on the ground. Everywhere they put their feet, there's ground there. And as soon as you start creating uh, limitations to that, then they have to learn to place their back feet, which is what most of your agility training is, is rear foot awareness. They have to learn to start placing their back feet where there's something that they can uh, use them on. Right. So on a beam, they have to keep their back feet in a narrower space because however wide the beam is, is as wide as they can go. So they generally will use their front legs to make that determination. But I will in the beginning start placing their back legs where they need to go, especially initially, right? And then I want them to go very slowly 
so that when they step with that other back foot, they feel, and if you're on the video, you can see my hand like feeling for the beam, and then they're like, oh, there it is, and they find it, and they put their, their paw down, and then they can bear weight on it once it's there. But if they step out and got to put their weight down, but their foot is not on the beam, then that's when they fall, right? Also, when I'm introducing dogs to something like this in the beginning, I will stand very close to the beam so that if the dog starts to fall toward me, they lean into me and they don't fall. Make sense? And the closer you are to the beam, the better, because if you're, if you're too far away and they lean into you, then the beam slides off or whatever and they still fall, right? If they start to fall away from me, I will usually have a hand either underneath their abdomen, kind of like hooked like this. So it's like this. There you go if you're on the video. And if you need to see these, you can go watch this over on the YouTube side of the house. Um, under their abdomen. Or I will have my hand kind of over top of them, um, but but ready on the other side. So if they lean out that way, they, they lean into my hand. They don't lose their balance. Okay? Because, again, we're trying to give the dog success in these beginning stages so that we build confidence and we build their, oh, yeah, okay, I can do this. And then we slowly, as time goes on, and different dogs, some dogs we can do this quicker, some dogs we do it slower, we slowly take away this assistance that we're giving them until they're doing it on their own. And then once they're doing it on their own, then we start building speed and control, right? So we want control so that if they're on the beam and I say, wait, lay down, they wait and lay down. But I also want them to be able to go fast across it when that's the appropriate thing to do as well, okay? So this is all part of your communication communication and the one direction one correction concept okay then we're finding and doing things that the dog is good at in between introducing something new okay so what will happen is we'll keep using our beam concept if I'm trying to teach a dog to cross a beam and the beam is really stressful right because some dogs hit it real quick and some dogs are like holy crap this is really hard taking another sip of my monster so sorry sweetheart so if the dog is getting stressed out, then, yeah, yeah, you're gonna give me some licks. Uh-huh, you're a sweetheart. If the dog is getting overly stressed out, I want them to successfully finish the cross that we're on, right? So I'm, I'm watching my dog, it's like, they are really stressed, right? They're panting, ears are back, maybe tails between their legs. They're like, holy crap, if, if their legs are shaking, right? Sometimes that's true muscle exhaustion, muscle fatigue, but a lot of times it's just stress, okay? So we're gonna complete whatever the cross we're on is, okay? And I mean, I may literally put my arms under the dog's chest and abdomen, both arms, and just bounce their feet on the, the beam as we go across to get them to the other side and then go, yay, you did it, right? Now I try not to do that, but that may be, depending on how stressed the dog is, if they're like in shutdown mode, which try not to get them there, but if they're in shutdown mode, then I will do that. So I still don't go, oh, you jumped off. Okay, I guess we're not doing it, right? And a lot of people do that, and that is a mistake. Do not let your dog just fall off and then be done because what you're doing is encouraging avoidance. They go, it's stressful, I'm gonna fall. Oh, yay, it's actually over. It worked, right? For me, if they do that, nope, you gotta get back up. The only way through the obstacle is to complete the obstacle. But I will help the dog make it across successfully. Right? I don't just keep going, you fail, do it again, you fail, do it again, you fail, do it again. Right? I don't want them to fail. If I can assist them through so that they don't fail at all, especially in the beginning stages, right? then I will do that. And as long as the dog will allow me to do that, I will do that. 
right? When I say allow me, some of the dogs will rush through or sometimes you go to put their foot somewhere and they keep fighting, they keep trying to pull their foot away as you're trying to place it where it needs to go, right? And sometimes them in the process of doing that, they fall, right? And so that may happen and that does happen sometimes, but we try to keep that from happening as much as we can, okay? So we want success, not failure. Now, I get them through it, and then I'm like, this dog is like stressed, like super stressed, right? Then we're gonna go do something they're good at. Now, if you're just starting off, you shouldn't be overstressing the dog uh, too much at that point anyway. But let's say even you're doing sit and lay down, right? And you're directing them into a sit, and you're praising them for sit, and you're putting them in a lay down, and you're praising them for lay down. And you've been doing this maybe for five or 10 minutes, and you can just look at the dog and go, my dog is really, really stressed right now. Then what I do, excusez-moi, what I do, is I just put them on the ground. I leave them on their lead. I don't let them run loose and be crazy. I, I still hold on to it, or maybe I clip it if you're using our leads and we have, you have the clips on both ends and a floating ring. I may clip it onto the leg of one of the tables we're training on or something like that. And But I just let them get on the ground and chill, right? And I let them be down there for anywhere from 30 seconds to five or 10 minutes, depending on how stressed they were, until they relax and chill out and calm down, right? And then I pick them back up and I put them back on the table and we start training again. And so what you want to be doing is relieving that stress in between the higher stress moments, okay? So the stress inoculation concept is you don't want to exceed the stress threshold of the person or the animal. And, and a lot of times in our training, the person is going through this just as much as the animal is going through this, okay? But you want to push up and you want to start getting close so you start seeing the stress in the person in the animal, right? And if you're training your dog, you're, you're focused on your animal. And then you, but before you get to the shutdown stage, right? You want to try and avoid the shutdown stage. Before you get there, you back off. And then you come back up. But before you get there, you back off. And you do that multiple times, five, 10 times maybe. And then, what happens is you'll come up and all of a sudden you'll see this isn't stressful anymore, right? And different dogs and different people get it faster and some get it slower, but that's that, that's not a right or a wrong. That's just the difference of individuals, right? So that's how we're doing our process. So as you're working through, you may find that you can only do that so many times with your dog in a single day before they kind of don't calm back down. Right? They're like, oh crap, we're still out here. It's still going to be stressful. And they don't relax and calm back down. So um, that's what you're doing. You're, you're doing something that's new and difficult, and then you're going to something that's easy. And then you're doing something that's new and difficult, and then you're going back to something that's easy. So if your dog does really good at sit and lay down, then sit and lay down may be your easy thing. Right? If your dog does really good at downstays, waiting and coming to you when you call them, then that may be your easy thing. If that's where they're stressed, then you do a couple of them, and then you do some sits, uh, sit and plutz, and then you may just let them chill for a few minutes, and then you do another couple downstays. Okay? So hopefully that makes sense to you in terms of how we're doing the, the higher stress, lower stress, higher stress, lower stress. Then you want to be very careful about allowing the dog to fail too many times. Okay, because failing and ultra high stress, getting them into that too often, too fast, will build apprehension and anxiety about that thing, whatever that thing is. Okay, now again, if you've already gotten there, you can work the dog through it, but it's better if you don't get there in the first place. 
okay? So the longer the dog is in stress, the more negative association they'll have with the new task, right? Which is why we want to give them relatively quick success, meaning, you know, if you're crossing a beam, number one, your beam should be maybe eight feet long, right? And if it's overlapping the table, um, you know, you may have actual uh, six or seven feet of actual cross space, right? And uh, so you have an eight foot beam. It shouldn't take you more than about three minutes to get the dog across that beam. Worst case scenario, right? And so that's three minutes of stress. You shouldn't be on the beam for 10 minutes, right? So if I put you under a, uh, let's say, a moderately high level of stress that you can normally handle fine for a few minutes, but I leave you there for an hour, that moderately high stress will become a very high stress because you, you become fatigued in the stress, right? Or I can go really high stress for a short period of time and overstress you. But you can do either one. So you want to be careful about doing either one. You don't want to bring the dog into acute stress. That's like the momentary stress that's too high too quickly. And you don't want to bring the dog into a chronic stress situation where you're increasing the stress to a point they can manage, but you're holding them there for too long. Okay? And then don't expect too much too fast from your dogs. So what happens sometimes is, especially if you're training with other people or you're training in a like a public class or something like that, is you'll look at other people's dogs and you get embarrassed that your dog isn't where their dog is, okay? You don't know what they're doing on, on their own. You don't know how old their dog is. You don't know how <clears throat> much work and time and energy went into getting that dog where it is. You are where you are. So don't try to pretend that you're where somebody else is because that's not fair to your dog, right? Except this is where we are. This is where my dog is. This is where I am. I like what that person's doing. I want to get there. We're about to connect to the Wi-Fi here in a second. I want to get there, but in order to do that, I have to take my time and train my dog the right way. I'm trying to keep an eye on my little LTE thing because it'll pause this for a moment when that happens. So don't expect too much from your dog too fast. Don't push them too far too fast, okay? Be patient with your dog. Back it up, baby. And then we want to overcome the apprehension to the stress through training success. So if you're one of these people that I've mentioned several times where you already got your dog over stress, right? They're already apprehensive about whatever it is. Here's how you overcome that, okay? Now, ideally, we, we overcome it without even really creating the situation on a large scale to begin with. But we always want to end on a positive note, okay? So when you're doing something, if your dog does it successfully and it's new and it's hard, right? Don't go, yay, we did it. Let's do it again, right? Usually when we, especially if the dog's struggling with it, right? If, if they just went across the beam, no problem, and they were like, oh, yeah, it was no big deal, then maybe I'm going to do some more of them. But if they were like, holy crap, that was hard, but they did it, right? And they maybe barely needed any assistance from me. And you could tell they're really stressed, but they did it. Then I'm going to give them lots of praise for fit, for doing it, right? Oh, you did such a good job. a girl. Good cross. Good cross. Praise, 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 praise. Okay. And, and that, what I just did, I would do that for like 10, 15 seconds. Okay. So don't get embarrassed. Praise your dog. Let them know they did an awesome job job and you'll see them they'll be like well yeah i did a good job right don't let them paw at you or anything uh, you know you moderate it to keep it the way it needs to be but let your dog know yeah you did an awesome job right and then stop go do something they're good at don't keep in that stress and when i say stop i mean stop for the day 
on that thing, right? You don't have to stop training for the day necessarily, but be done with that thing for the day and let them think on it. And they'll be like, man, I did that thing. It was awesome. The next day you bring them out to it, they may be a little apprehensive, right? But they'll do it and then they'll get their praise. And the more they do it and are successful and get praised for it, then they'll build a positive association with it. And you'll go get up and cross that beam. And they'll be like, oh, okay, no problem. And they'll just walk across the beam, zero stress. Okay. So that's how you build through this process. So what you're watching for when you're asking when should we stop for the day is, is your dog overly stressed? If they're overly stressed, is there something I can do that's lower stress that my dog can do and be successful at? If the answer is yes, I can go do that for a while, right? If the answer is no, then I probably need to stop for the day. When you're working a young pup, you're probably only going to train 15, 20 minutes at a time before your, your pup needs a break. Okay, and, and you could do that two, three, four times throughout the day, but you want several hours of separation in between. So, and when I say training with a pup, I'm talking about your intensive training because you're always kind of training your pup. So for us, I would bring them in and then I put them in their place and I would let them just get used to laying in their place and being calm and relaxed in that spot, right? So they're still training, but I'm not like physically making them sit and lay down, sit and lay down, sit and lay down to practice those two commands as an example. All right, so I hope this has been helpful for you. I hope this has made sense. If you'd like a lot more detail and like physically me walking you through this process with a dog, um, that's what we do over on Canine Academy Online. So you can go over there. You can sign up. We have a $20 a month subscription. We have a $200 a year subscription. If you sign up for the $20 a month subscription, uh, you get access to the first two modules the first month, the next two modules the next month for the first four months. It's two extra modules pop in. Uh, availability each month and then after that the whole thing opens up if you do the annual subscription you get access to everything right off the bat I just like to let people know that because some people are like what there's only like two modules and it's like yeah when you're only paying $20 a month it trickles in until you've kind of stayed with it for a little while and then you get access to everything all right um, don't forget please go over and follow us on Facebook Instagram and YouTube by searching for Fortress Canine Fortress Canine dot puppies and Canine Academy online uh, if you enjoyed this content, please go give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. If you didn't like this content, just go away. I'm apparently not for you. That's okay. If you guys are interested in getting any puppies, we do Malinois, Dutch Shepherds, and German Shepherds. Our next two litters are reserved, and we are currently six to eight months out on any available puppies. However, we do have a couple litters planned for 2022 that still have availability, uh, Malinois and Black German Shepherds. So if you're interested in either of those, uh, reach out. I think we have one more on our other Dutch Shepherd litter breeding as well. So if you're interested in any of those, um, reach out, send me a text, DM me on Instagram, Facebook, any of that kind of stuff, and I will get you connected with what you need to do to get one of those reserved. Until next time, remember, train hard and stay safe. Fortress Canine Podcast.